As a reminder to all of our Empaths Without Borders listeners out there, Sarah and I are not mental health professionals. Although we're professional in other ways. <laughs> and this podcast is not meant to be clinical advice. Uh, this is just our own perspective and our own inner work that we have done. And we hope that you enjoy regardless. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to Empaths Without Borders, the podcast where we make your problems our problems. I'm one of your hosts, Jensi. I'm your other host, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. How are you today? Good. I'm great. You? I'm doing really good. I um, am dog sitting for this couple, um, and they have three dogs. They have two chihuahuas and a chuggle. Oh, a chuggle. Wait, a pug and a... Chihuahua, oh, a, a chuggle. He is. He's I kind don't of. I want to see it. He's really cute. He's feral, like not really feral, but like whenever you take him on walks, he tries to fight cars that go mm-hmm. by, and um, he will like go if there's any other dogs in the neighbors' yards or even people in the other yards. He'll like go to the fence and be like, <sighs> like try to fight them. Um. He's very sweet otherwise, and he has the cutest little underbite. So his, little, his little teeth pop out of his little, his, he's really cute. He, yeah, I'll, he's take, kind of, I'll take your word for it. He's very cute. I also like, I think I told you this um, when I dog sat him last year, but I think he has a, um, it's a, what is it, a hernia? Is that where like your, part of your, your intestines like pop out, right? Yeah. I think he has a hernia. Oh, but it doesn't seem to be like bothering him unless you like, cause he will go on his back and you'll like pet him and then you touch his stomach and he gets like a little bit freaked out, but like he jumps around and stuff like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel bad because yesterday uh, I went to class and I accidentally left one of them outside in the backyard. Um, <laughs> but, and she like, and I felt so terrible because like the, the wife of the couple texted me. She's like, are you in class? Or are you at home? And I was like, I'm in class. And she's like, one of the neighbors is saying that one of the dogs is like barking outside. And I was like, oh my God, what did I, what happened? Um, yeah, I accidentally left one of them outside. <laughs> You're um, lucky you get picked up by a hawk. I know, I know. And we do have like birds of prey, not as like, the, definitely not as prevalent as like some places um, along the I-25 corridor, but we do definitely have some birds of prey. Uh and that was one of the chihuahuas, probably actually the, the smallest dog. So he would have been, uh, he would have been, he's, he's, he's a very good boy though. I will say, um, and we have one little girl dog and I feel bad for her because she gets bullied by her younger brother, the chuggle. Um, so sorry, that was, a, <laughs> that was a massive, like, it's like exciting news in Jensi's life. Right I, I, I like hanging out with them I do think I'm slightly allergic to dogs though because they sleep they sleep in the bed of their people and so they they sleep in the bed mm-hmm. with me and I wake up in the morning and I always have a really bad stuffy nose so I think I'm allergic to dogs and I'm really sad <laughs> sometimes I, I feel like you can if you're not around them all the time like you might have an initial little reaction and then it kind of dissipates 
Well, that makes me feel a little bit better because I like hanging out with them and I want to hang out with them. <laughs> you probably haven't been doing it as much as you used to, right? Yeah, I haven't. And that's like one of the reasons why, because Rue, our family Vichla, used to sleep in my bed. Um, but I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mostly because he was like, he would like go inside the sheets and out of the sheets, like just constantly throughout the night. And then sometimes he would like put his head right over my head and try to suffocate me. Um, unintentionally, I hope. But that's probably a big that's reason why. <laughs> that's what your wife does inside the covers outside the covers <laughs> tries to suffocate you <laughs> intentionally or not we don't know we don't know she claims she doesn't remember but <laughs> one of our favorite stories well two is that okay it was several years ago but she took cpr training <laughs> and then that night i woke up to her like trying to revive me <laughs> by doing chest compressions and you know I'm like okay cool like I'm just gonna let this play out until she just then her hands moved up to my throat and started choking me she's like she's not dead enough we have to make her more dead so that these chest compressions work and I was like um okay this is getting really serious really fast Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's when I had to intervene and stop myself from getting killed. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I can't breathe. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. And my other favorite sleep story is I was just sleeping, minding my own business, dead asleep. And she took the pillow out from under my head. And said something like, why do we have so many pillows in here? <laughs> <laughs> and threw it on the ground. And I was like, it's fine. I'm just really tired. <laughs> I'm just going to sleep without a pillow. Oh and, then the, and sometime in the morning before I was awake, she like woke up and noticed I was sleeping without a pillow and then tried to give it back to me, but I was sleeping. <laughs> and then when we woke up, she was like, you were being so rude. I like noticed that you didn't have a pillow and I tried to give it back to you, but you didn't even do anything. I was like, I was asleep. <laughs> oh my God. And you threw the pillow in the first place. And I was like, do you know why I didn't have a pillow? She's like, no, why would you sleep without a pillow? I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, I can't like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't like breathe. <laughs> I'm like crying a little bit. I think that, that was like this, that like, I feel very like chill and relaxed right now. I think, you know, going back to our, um, you know, about last year around this time, we did a, we did a, um, an episode called laugh till you cry. That's what <laughs> I'm just relieving lots of, <laughs> lots of anxiety and stress right now. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, okay. Like, okay. I'm just going to go with this. <laughs> oh God. Uh, anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let me just get myself. That. Let's, Let's start just get my... okay.
yeah let me just get myself like under control just a second i have i've heard i've heard the like the choking the choking story before but i hadn't heard the pillow one <laughs> oh my gosh okay yeah so our topic today <laughs> our topic today is imposter syndrome um which is just really interesting uh, a really interesting topic and it doesn't really follow along with our um kind of like birth culture series that we've been doing but i think that sarah and i had decided well, I think that we we'll wraps that up for now don't you think oh okay <laughs> that sounds good to you um so yeah we're just gonna we're just gonna kind of this might be something that we explore in the future but um it also may be something that you know we're just gonna kind of wrap up for now and um like this, like talking about imposter syndrome, we might just like kind of, you know, talk about this, let it go, maybe check in with y'all about like where we're at with it. But I figured that maybe we can just start with um, places in our lives where maybe we felt imposter syndrome, Sarah, mm. and we can kind of share some of our like own experiences. And then um, we both did some research. Yes, we, <laughs> so according <laughs> to my research, <laughs> Yeah, so we both did some research on a topic. Um, so I figured that we could kind of uh, just talk about the things that we found and we can discuss them because I found some pretty interesting things. So Sarah, why don't you start? I need to go blow my nose. <laughs> okay. Because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> um, I guess I can't quite pinpoint like t- exact times in my life. I Well, okay, I take that back. I definitely felt imposter syndrome like way back in the day when I got my first career type job and I really had to feel like I was winging it. Like you do this big interview and you're like, yeah, I totally have experience for this. And then you get into the job and you're like, uh, I don't remember learning any of this in school, which I was supposed to, but I think like that was probably the biggest time that I felt that. And now maybe like coming out of the role of like, I'm a stay at home mom for so long. And then trying to like, feel like I was a productive member of society. And like, I have knowledge. I'm to the point now where I'm like, I'm comfortable knowing that all of my skills that didn't necessarily get built in a nine to five job, like are real and they count. And like, they count for like, right now, what I'm doing is like this interesting commingling of like all these really, really random skills that I've picked up and like have just been culminating into one thing that will be very purposeful. But like, I remember about a year ago, I finally joined, like, I've always done little stuff on the side, like childbirth classes and doula services and breastfeeding and all that stuff. And about a year ago, I joined a business referral group and like the first couple meetings going there, like it felt so overwhelming. I'm like, what am I doing here? I don't even know how to talk to adults anymore. But yeah, but then, I do, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I do remember there was like a time when I think that, I think that your wife was on a business, like a longer business thing and, um, I ended up I went to go like have like lunch with you or something like that and you're like I haven't talked to 
You're like, I haven't talked to an adult in like days. I've only talked to toddlers. Right. <clears throat> and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, let's talk about this. Yeah. So I think now I probably feel like I don't know what the hell I'm doing the majority of the time, but I'm just so comfortable with being in that position now that I like embrace it. Like I'm just winging it, but I'm good at doing that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, I think like just the other day, one of my colleagues who's kind of a newer birth worker doula, she was like, oh, I, you know, she's been to a few births now and very knowledgeable, but she's like, at some point, I hope I can stop feeling like I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, I've been to a hundred births and it's like, I don't, every time you're like, there's this bit of awkwardness of like, could a different doula be like, it just seems like everyone else knows what they're doing, but me, Mm. but I think backing up a second, like we should quick discuss Oh, like the definition of imposter the definition syndrome. Definition of imposter syndrome. And like we've talked about in the past that a lot of colloquially colloquialisms that we use kind of like imposter syndrome or anxiety or borderline or bipolar or whatever. Like there's kind of two definitions, right? Like on one hand, we kind of use it in everyday language. And mm-hmm. and then there's like actual like like diagnosable conditions okay well I can so I found so sorry I have like I think that laughing so hard got like phlegm in my throat so imposter syndrome this is something that I found when I was doing my research so imposter syndrome was developed in uh, 1978 by two female psychologists, Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imez. Um, and they actually called it imposter phenomena. Mm-hmm. And with, it's really interesting because they actually uh, originally focused on it just being a phenomena that happened in high achieving women. So not okay. necessarily everybody, it was just with women. And they the definition that they... Um, stated was that despite outstanding academic and professional accomplishments, women who experience the imposter phenomena persist in believing that they are really not bright and have fooled anyone who thinks otherwise. Mm. So it's, um, or another definition that is that, Ooh, my goodness gracious. Sorry. (laughs) Um, they are under undeserving of their achievements. So people are undeserving of their achievements and the high esteem in which they are in is in fact generally held. Yes. That like they actually are, but you just have a perception that you're not. Exactly. Yeah. Versus you actually are like unqualified. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That I feel can't like you're a thing if you like fake all of your resume and you actually didn't go to school nor are you qualified you could feel imposter syndrome but it being true I want to know what the other I want to know what the other end of that is like that you have no qualifications and you have no experience but you just like have so much confidence that I mean it's a con man (laughs) right exactly and that I think you hit on a good point it is way more prevalent in women and men rarely feel that way 
because yeah. they have it's more likely that a woman is overqualified but feels like she's not mm-hmm. then and on the flip side a guy is more likely to feel qualified and is not there was a the the what I was thinking about this like in particular is that there was I think it was I'm almost positive that the, it was in Florida um there was a teenager like a 18 19 year old teenager he might have even been younger he might have been 17 who multiple times convinced people that he was a gynecologist and and completed pelvic exams on women to the point like at one point he even had like he set up a business for himself like Mm -hmm. had a office and had workers no qualifications literally a teenager and conned his way into doing pelvic exams on patients with just confidence like no like he's like yeah I can do this I think it's more a, a product of our culture of like we raise men to be confident and and like they often again like often are like overly confident like of course I can do that which isn't necessarily a bad thing like maybe we should all be that way well and that um that actually does like I you know I think that it's good that we like have like the definition um because let me, let's just go back really quick. And um, can I talk a little bit about just like really quickly about just some of the areas where I have felt imposter syndrome? Yeah. Cause I feel like this other conversation can go a lot farther. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I found some really interesting things kind of about what we call imposter syndrome and what it may actually mean. Um, so yeah. Okay. <clears throat> also, I was going to start off this episode with a joke and I forgot. Oh, dang it. Okay. Um, do you want me to tell you a joke really quick? Okay. Insert joke here. So Sarah, what do you call a fake noodle? What? An impasta. (laughs) (laughs) That's very good, Jen. Thank you. (laughs) It's really funny too. It's impasta. Um, okay. So anyways, I've, um, when it comes to imposter syndrome, I definitely feel like, um, I felt it, I felt imposter syndrome a lot in my education, not necessarily in my career. Um, and I do think that that is likely because the career fields that I was, that I was in, um, generally were more dominated by women. Um, they're like human services related fields, which just in general, like they, there's more women just in general that work yeah. in those types of um, organizations. So I felt imposter syndrome less so in those situations. Um, but definitely in school, uh, you know, my undergrad degree was in chemistry and I constantly felt like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not smart enough to be in chemistry. Um, especially when there was like, there was a lot of people that I, I guess I should say male identify male identifying people in my um major that were the kind of people that were like, oh yeah, like I didn't study for this exam at all and I got like a a 95. And I was like, I studied really hard for this exam and I only got like an 89, which in most of my chemistry classes, an 85 and above was still considered an A. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know why they did that like that, but whatever. Um, and I don't know, it always like, uh, like, so I always felt, and it felt really, really weird being in some of my classes because there was, you know, upwards of 40 to 50 people in them and perhaps six of them were female identifying people in that moment, I should say female identifying in that moment, people, um, and yeah, I just like, I was always like, Ooh, is this a field that I should be in? Like, or, or I was like, I know I deserve to be here, but it still was like that. It was almost like I was overcompensating with that thought process. Right. right? Like, like, Ooh, well, you're overcompensating. Like you're just like everybody else. Um, so anyways, that was like my undergrad degree, but then coming into my graduate program, um, especially during orientation, orientation is so weird. And also I hate there's a really interesting, I need to find this article. It's like an article, um, about the way that like our society asks people like what, like, or maybe how our society greets people when they first meet them or like what questions they ask people when they first meet them. Um, like, it's really common for us to say like, well, what did you do? Like, so what did you do in your, um, previous life before you came to grad school? Like, what was your undergrad in? Mm -hmm. Um, and how, like, there's just like a very, there's a big problem just like with focusing so much on like, what did you do rather than who are you? Like, what do you enjoy doing? Um, what makes you, you, uh, and that, it does kind of like kind of go back to systemic racism in a lot of ways. Like this article was a, um, I think it was this, I want to say it was like this white guy who was dating a black woman. And when he met her parents, he was like, well, what do you, what do you do too? What do you do? What do you two do? And Mm -hmm. the dad kind of like gave him a funny look and said something along the lines of, oh, I'm unemployed right now. And it was because the dad was experiencing homelessness. And so it's just like, it's just really interesting. Anyways. Well, um, I, I have a thought about that. And your <laughs> undergrad. And what? I, I have a thought about that and your experience in undergrad, like two theories. The first one, I found that same dynamic as a stay-at-home mom. Mm. it's like the second someone asks me what I do and that's my reply suddenly they are get really awkward and they don't know how to relate to me and they wouldn't it was like you know obviously some of my internal dialogue but you could also just get the vibe that it was like a conversation stopper mm-hmm. Absolutely. Of, because it's so important to like like what you do defines you mm-hmm. and if that's what it, like they have which is weird because like most people are still parents right like so it's not even like we didn't have anything in common but then I lost value or interest exactly. because of what I was doing like well and I noticed that really early on when I left the career field to have a baby I was one of my first in my friends groups to have a baby. And so these people were like my friends and my lifeline. And it very quickly became apparent that suddenly, simply because I had a child and I wasn't working in an office that suddenly we had nothing in common. Yeah. 
it was like, well, we can't even ask her what she did today. Cause I mean, what did she do today? Mm-hmm. 100%. And I think it's like, it's cause we get so like, we've just been socialized to think that if you don't have, you know, a certain type of experience that your worth is just less. Like if you're not actively working with the, with society or with the capitalistic end goal of society, right? you're not like worth it or like, well, what are you contributing to society then? Like I have nothing, I have nothing to. Well, even spouses are kind of like, well, what, what did you do today? Like, like, I know you didn't really do anything today instead of like, that's what I was doing is all these things. Mm-hmm. And I was potty training a toddler, which is not easy. Right. And co like managing like a million different things at one time or, um, or even like the skill of like, I've been isolated all day. Like that's like yeah. huge. And so absolutely, it's just very interesting that your worth is very tied which then I think a lot that does contribute to a lot of women feeling that way. Like mm-hmm. we, then you have less worth. And so then when you do re-enter the career field or, or say before, like women are much more likely to assume and have be pre- presumed to only work until they have kids. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, and then my well, thoughts. On, oh, oh go ahead. sorry. Oh, no, continue. Your thoughts on Your the other piece. story. My two theories are like, so this all plays off each other. Like, so if males are just generally more confident and then a female isn't as confident, then it's also playing into that story because all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, like this guy's really confident and I'm not feeling that way. So that must mean something of why I don't feel the same way. So it probably is. I don't feel the same way because I'm actually not as good as he is. And so I think that plays a part. And then at the same time, I think like in your situation, okay, you're in chemistry or math. Females have been taught throughout history that you're not as good at it. Mm -hmm. So to be in that career field, it must mean that you're just a special female mm. that has the skill set that's different than other women. And so you better really show your worth in that instead of like, well, it doesn't like if you just are interested in that, mm-hmm. like a guy isn't going in like I'm special because I have a different brain than every other man out there that I really like science and math. So yeah. I better really prove myself. Well, yeah. And especially like like, when it comes to that, like, yeah, that like really analytical type of work where, you know, you are working with numbers. Like, it's just so interesting. I wish that I'm, I I don't want to speak too much on this just because I don't have like the data to back it up right now. But that when, if you look at how boys versus girls do on, um, on grades when in grade school, when it comes to things like math and science, girls tend to do better. But then at some point there's like a flip switch where then suddenly it's like, Oh, like math is too like boys, then boys, quote unquote, start doing better, um, at those, like those things. Um, 
than women and I don't know it's just like it's just super interesting um so then you're going down this career path like in a career you're not supposed to quote supposed to be excelling at mm-hmm. and there's this idea that's been planted that because you're not as natural at it you're gonna have to work harder and so then mm-hmm. you're playing into like well I have to work harder just to be here and then this other person sitting next to me has like just a natural confidence whether it's based in reality or not of how they do and like I think I've read this article I I'd like to find it but like men or males typically tend to like like their confidence levels have nothing to do with their preparedness or like Mm -hmm. that they actually know anything about the subject it's it's like not even registering in their brains that um, it's connected at all to their worth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that that's, I did, again, I found like a really interesting article that kind of addresses that. Um, but yeah, let me, let me just talk a little bit about kind of like my, my graduate program and how it was maybe a little bit different yeah. than, oh, one of the puppies is dreaming and she's barking in her dreams <laughs> you get it he's probably thinking about chasing her brother that's what I would do if I was her anyways um <laughs> sorry so yeah so my graduate program was a little bit different because you know I went into my graduate program is in public health and social work um and I went to the orientation for the public health piece um and even the social work piece is it's like this as well but there's a lot more female identifying people who are in this field or in my graduate program just in general um and with that said there's different concentrations within the public health Mm -hmm. field and one of them is epidemiology and a lot of the male identifying people who were in my public health program we're doing the more like scientific, like epidemiology piece of it rather than the global health and health disparities piece. Um, that's what my concentration was in. Um, and so that's just like, that's just like an interesting aside, but it, this is like a field that is, has much more female identifying people in it, um, versus my chemistry degree, but I was still feeling a lot of imposter syndrome or still felt like, Oh, I don't know if I actually belong here, um, during orientation. Because again, like I was saying before, there's this, like, well, what did you do? Like when you, when you introduce yourself to people, mm-hmm. you're just like, you're automatically like, Oh, so this is what I did to deserve to be here. Like, you feel like you have to, like, everybody is doing that. They're like, right. Oh yeah. Like, this is the things that I did that likely got me into this program. And, you know, there was a lot of people who had really impressive resumes. I was like, Oh my gosh, I do not belong here. I <laughs> like we, and there was like people who were like, yeah, I've been working. Um, like I've been working at, well, there was some people who were like in the Peace Corps, which I have some issues with Peace Corps, but they were like, yeah, I was like working with Peace Corps for three years. And mm-hmm. there were other people who were like, oh yeah, like I've been, um, I was doing film. I was do- in the film industry in Denver doing like documentaries on the refugee crisis. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And I also <laughs> did not have something that cool on my, <laughs> my like, resume. I've been dog sitting a lot. <laughs> dog sit- I've been 
dog sitter? No, I was like, I was like, I've been working with the same organization for 11 years, which like, I'm sure that other people were like, wow, that's, that's cool that you've been working with the same organization for 11 years. But I don't know, like, it's just, and even, even when I was like, oh yeah, like my undergraduate degrees in chemistry, people were like, well, what the heck are you doing here? Right. Like, shouldn't you? Like, that doesn't make any sense to being in public health. Um, So I don't know. And and that kind of is like what I was saying, like introducing ourselves, like by what we do rather than who we are. And, you know, one of my first classes in the social work piece, which I started this year, um, we were kind of like asked to introduce ourselves by some of our identities and the things that make us who we are. Um, But I still found myself saying like, this is what my undergrad degree was in. And this is what I was doing before, like still trying to prove to myself and to the other people in my program that I deserve to be there. And like, these are my qualifications. This is like, I'm slipping this into this conversation. I've just Mm. met you, but I need to slip this into the conversation that this is I, that I deserve to be here just as much as you. Um, and yeah, it's just like, and, and even just trying to do graduate level work, right. It's just, it's a lot of, reading it's a lot of like I'm just, I'm not a very strong writer just in general and um you know I'm always just like I don't know if I did really deserve to be in this program because I'm not a very good I'm not a very good writer I don't like keep up with my mm-hmm. readings very much um I just but I have other things that are giving worth to me you know what I mean so right. those are like the big times that I've experienced um imposter syndrome but yeah. no. I definitely have even now it's like when someone asks me what I do, if I just say stuff like childbirth education and breastfeeding consulting, everyone's like, oh, but then if I throw in property management, it's like, oh, okay. That's like a real thing. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, arguably you did more with your property management than a lot of other property managers do. Right. Can I just, can I just say like, a lot of property managers don't like, they're like, eh, yeah, like we'll get to that eventually. <laughs> or like, they don't like they, they manage quote unquote the property, but they aren't right. like when you were doing property management, it was like, no, I'm like doing the gardening and I'm um, cleaning the places and I'm, uh, you know, offering resources to the people who are living here. Like, I think that you arguably did more than yes. what a typical property manager does. Okay, so, so moving on. Moving on, I figured we'd identify, we've kind of identified one group and we'll talk a little bit more about like who's more likely to suffer imposter syndrome. And it's definitely women. I found this article about psychology in psychology today and it's like an extreme chasm between women in um, career fields and men, very, very few men ever feel imposter syndrome mm-hmm. or admit that they feel imposter syndrome. And so that's true. However, and I think, yeah, I think guys can like, um, well, and like I, and like I said before, you know, the, the two female psychologists in the seventies that came up with it, they only focused on women and it wasn't until, you know, a couple of decades later that people are like, well, actually men can experience it as well. Sure. So here's one reason why women feel it more is for success is defined purely in male terms. 
we have to think you're only successful if you're a CEO, a politician, a leader. Um, and so you're only successful if you make a lot of money, you have political power or high achieving status that has hierarchy. And so that's like mostly been the role of men up until recently. So women have to kind of define their success on what men define success as and then be better than a guy because of it. Mm-hmm. Because also- you can't just be like on equal playing terms as a female, you have to be better than mm-hmm. everybody else to really be noticed. Also, can I just point out white men? Sure. It's white men. White. Um, white. <laughs> Maybe I should stop having the coffee. I'm like. <laughs> and then here's another issue. We, we never think of successful women in terms of motherhood, how they're raising their children, mm-hmm. how they're helping out neighbors, how many tasks they're managing. Um, well, and even those even if those are acknowledged, it's often seen as a status symbol as for like the whole family with like the nuclear head of the family being a male, right? right? It's like You're still a status. It's a, yeah, it's a sacrificial role Yeah, of like, I'm doing this so that my family can do this. This is an interesting example. When we think of successful women, we don't think of the octomom who was very successful reproductively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we think of like, oh, so if she produced 14 children altogether, she's 14 times as successful as say Hillary Clinton is in reproduction. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did Clinton only have one child? Yeah, Chelsea's the I only... Did- I didn't realize that she only, okay, I guess that that makes sense. I haven't heard about the other ones, any, because there aren't any other ones. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and it's almost like, it's almost like if, um, if women are, are successful in like traditionally, um, or I guess like in the traditional workforce, it's done in spite of having children right Mm -hmm. so it's like oh like they were able to get this and they also have children and they were able to like they were it's like or it's like oh and and even the opposite way like um if a woman is successful and she's in that role and it's like wow like she was able to like give up being at home to be here mm-hmm. and um even if like maybe that maybe there was like some a lot of struggles and I don't know just like I don't know if that makes sense but um can I share the article that I found that I've been alluding to that I think is super interesting yes. okay so this is from the uh so this is from the Harvard Business Review and the title is stop telling women they have imposter syndrome For many women, feeling like an outsider isn't an illusion. It's the result of systemic bias and exclusion. So they're not perceiving it. They're they're experiencing it. It's actually experienced. It's not necessarily that they're, it's not that they, so like the whole premise of this article is that imposter syndrome isn't 
the like that you can experience imposter syndrome but the vast majority of people who are being told that they have imposter syndrome it's not that they it's it's that they are actually in a they are actually being excluded because of the systemic way that we have um that we have framed Mm. this like I just or that women have been socialized essentially so like um this one like in my example like it's not just me feeling like I'm not as successful. It's like exactly people telling me I'm not as success- successful. Me too much, me too much coffee too. Um, <laughs> so then you're like, and obviously there's some inner work you can do to be like, well, that's just not true, but mm-hmm. you are, it's not just like some made up perception that you're feeling. You're like, People are telling me that's you're not qualified to be here. Exactly. And so this is so this is a paragraph um, from this article. And this came out like I want to say, just a second, let me look at it. Um, in February of 2021. So this is a this is pretty recent. So here's so this is a paragraph from this. The impact of systemic racism, classism, xenophobia, and other biases was categorically absent when the concept of imposter syndrome syndrome was developed many groups were excluded from the study namely women of color and people of various income levels genders and professional backgrounds even as we know it today imposter syndrome puts the blame on individuals without accounting for the historical and cultural contexts that are foundational to how it manifests in both women of color and white women imposter syndrome directs our view towards fixing women at work instead of fixing the places where women work Mm. so I don't know I think that this is a really interesting like it's really interesting I mean I think that again like I said I think um there are women who probably do experience imposter syndrome but like even but it even this article even brings up the fact that there's been lots of um really famous women who like Michelle Obama Sonia Sotomayor um Charlize Theron Viola Davis they've all confess that to experiencing it but is it the fact that they have been socialized to think that women should not be at that level of I guess like renown that they are they're like oh I don't know if I belong here and it's just because we have been socialized to think that women don't aren't in those areas or aren't at those Mm -hmm. levels of society um and especially like I'm especially interested in, you know, like Michelle Obama and Viola Davis because they have this like added intersectionality of being black women. Mm-hmm. So it's even more so the case where it's like, oh, like black women aren't at this level of society. Right. Um, and so I must not belong here because this is just not this I've never we've never seen this like we don't right. know this well, doesn't exist and you also us. add in the layer of like if you're a black woman in a position there's going to be some assumption that the only reason you got there was affirmative action mm-hmm, absolutely so like did did you really earn it or is it just like a token thing mm-hmm. so this, here's um, another oh. interesting th- you want to hear a different theory yes I also have some other, some, but add in the theory. So here's some, it's kind of fascinating to think about this article from psychology today talks about 
the human history of women is that typically women leave their families and go live with like unrelated families and men don't. And so when men are rejected and disproved, it's typically in their own families, which feels safer because family members may fight with each other, but in the end, there's so much, there's only so much you can do to reject them because after all your family and genetics mean a lot. In contrast, when women are rejected and disproved, they're often rejected by people that aren't related to them. And it's a much higher risk to be rejected in a culture that you have nothing to turn to. So like even going back to recent history, but I'm picturing like biblical history, like the reason that Jesus talked about, you can't just like divorce is bad is because back in the day, the religious right was making up all these really stupid rules of like, well, if your wife does this, you get to divorce her. And it was so detrimental to women because the second she's divorced from you, she has no family. She has no home. She has no culture anymore. And so it just is basically a death sentence to the woman. And it had nothing to do with like the morality of divorce of like Mm. splitting up. It just meant she's now a rejected person. And so it's a much higher risk for a woman to be divorced than a man. We should really do we should really do an episode where, where we take some of the, uh, notions that people have about the Bible and you discuss what's actually really going on. Like, so you say that you use this passage in the Bible specifically to talk about this thing. And that is not what it was talking about or what was going on. Like, seriously, Sarah, like, I'm just like, you're like, Oh yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Or like, anyways. Um, so then it says if in contrast, if women are then rejected, then you get ostracized and expelled from the group. Your only genetic link to the group are now the children you have produced. But even the guy then goes back to his genetic kin and divorce is just more detrimental. And that may be why women have been evolutionarily designed to fear rejection and disapproval more than men do. Mm-hmm. So then you have higher stakes about whether you belong in a career field or whatever you're doing, because yeah. if you get rejected, it's a higher risk than a man, which I that's found interesting. very fascinating. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, and I think it like also, um, there's, there's two, there's two interesting articles that, cause I, I, I do want to go like this Harvard business review. I it's honestly, it's a very, I might put like the, um, what's it called? The the, like the link. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I might put the link for this, um, just in the description. Um, and if you have some of your articles too, I can put those, okay. put those in as well. Um, if you send those to me, Sarah, but this Harvard business review, um, article is really interesting. It's like, it's definitely like, um, kind of a think piece and it's somebody who, you know, it is like, this is their opinion. I think that it's really interesting though. Cause it's really like, it's really like ask, like challenging what we believe about, about imposter syndrome. Um, but they also discuss how imposter syndrome, like even just the word imposter 
makes us think that we're criminals. Like imposter is a criminal term. And Mm -hmm. so we are essentially like putting this idea that like we are, whether or not we are intentionally doing it or not, like that we're criminals that, you know, this is like, we we may just be like unsure or anxious about joining a new workplace or, you know, or like being in the field that we are, but that's not anything to feel like we're a criminal for. Right. And so, you it's know, like when I do my taxes mm-hmm. and then I get so much panic. Cause it's like, you know, all the warnings, like if, if this isn't correct, you're going to jail. And then I, yeah. Yeah. And we, and we, <laughs> I don't and we know shouldn't... what I'm doing. At some point, they're going to find out that I don't know how to do taxes and I'm just going to go to jail. <laughs> exactly. Like, and, and it's so, it's like, it's just so, so strange that it's, again, that this is a world that we've been socialized into and we've been socialized into thinking that we are cri- like criminalizing ourselves right. for not belonging in a certain, in a certain environment. And additionally, when you use the word syndrome, it sounds like it's like you're pathologizing it like syndrome like brings to mind like it's like a very like medical term and so it's like there's right. something wrong with us rather than again something that society has um basically like socialized us into believing so it's right. not right. like a syndrome and we're not imposters like so this so that's why this article is really interesting but then there's another article that i found and this is from times time magazine um and this one actually uh, talks about, so this is from a Valerie Young who wrote the book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, who talks about different patterns of people who are experiencing imposter feelings. Um, so there's one, two, three, four, there's five different patterns that she brings up so one of them is perfectionist so people who set extremely high expectations for themselves and then if they don't meet those expectations they feel like they failed Mm -hmm. um and kind of along with that there's these like feelings of being you need to be an expert like you need to know every single piece of information right because if somebody asks you and you don't know then it's basically confirming your own beliefs that you're not good enough right Mm -hmm. when in reality like And this is like the thing that I hate about undergrad programs for the most part is that they ask people, they ask students to know every single thing about a topic for, for exams, but then how many people actually retain that information? And when they go out into the workforce, how many people are going to like quiz them and be like, okay, so I need you to remember what this exact equation is and like use it like in this moment, like you have to look it up. Like that doesn't happen. Right. Okay. Um, the other, the third one is this idea the, of the natural genius. So people who, um, so I'm just going to read this. So when the natural genius quote unquote has to struggle or work hard to accomplish something, he or she thinks this means they aren't good enough. Right. They are used to skills coming easily. And when they have to put in effort, their brain tells them that's proof they're an imposter. And I think that going back to my undergrad, I think that this was like a big thing. Cause I didn't really have to, this is going to, this sounds bad, but I didn't really have to work very hard mm. when I was in high school to get good grades. And even like my first year of college, I didn't have to work hard. Like, I think a lot of my friends were struggling with the adjustment and I was like, Oh, like this is, I, I have no issues with this. Um, but then once I got into like harder level, 
chemistry classes. I was like, oh, holy crap, this is really difficult. And I don't know how to study. <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah. you know, I had to work hard and it wasn't like, and, you know, I think that there's, there's something to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. So in another article I found, like you were kind of touching on, like there's five basic types of people that are more likely to, which does include empaths oh, because they're just more sensitive to feedback. And so then they're more likely to read into it, but the perfectionist is more likely to have imposter syndrome because unless you're doing absolutely perfect, which you never can be, um, you're pretending you're not as good as others might think you are. Like you said, the expert, like I need to know everything there is to know. Otherwise I don't know what I'm doing. The natural genius, like you said, like I remember too, in my childhood, like kind of floating along, like I don't really need to work very hard because I just can, can do it. And then getting to college and realizing like I had to buckle down and study and retain things. And, and then all of a sudden I had to like prove myself. Um, and then the soloist. Oh yeah. That's the one I found the soloist and then Superman, Superwoman, right? Yeah, the super person. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones, there are some more like personality disorder type people that feel imposter syndrome. Well, wait, let's, can we talk really quick about the soloist yeah. and the super person? So the soloist yeah. is somebody who feels like they have to accomplish something by themselves. Like if they ask somebody for help, then they're failing and they're an imposter or a failure or fraud. Mm. And then the super person, I like how you said super person, um, the super person, um, pushes themselves, to work harder than other people. Like it's a kind of like the workaholic, right? Like people who are working so hard. um, If you don't like achieve extreme things, then you're a fraud. Yeah. And like, I think that also includes not just like in work, but also just in all aspects of your life, like as a parent, as a partner, as a child of your like your parents if that made sense um, yeah so it's like and if they don't accomplish something or if like something slips then they feel like unaccomplished yes so anyways continue with your no that's oh well I did also I just want to also like and I think that it touched on this a little bit in that Harvard Business Review article um but I think that a lot of those things like the perfectionist and um Oh gosh, what was the perfectionist and the expert? I think that that those two things in particular, they fall into these um, what is it called? Like the tenets of white supremacy culture. Like, so I don't know if you've ever um, if you've ever like looked up the I guess like the characteristics of white supremacy culture they're very interesting because perfectionism is the first one that's listed Mm. as like a tenet of white supremacy culture that like, if you aren't, if you can't achieve perfection, then um, you don't belong in our culture and that, and our culture is one of white supremacy just in general. Um, And then um, a sense of urgency is also the second one. So like, if I don't do this right now, if I'm not perfect in this moment, then I'm a failure. 
Mm-hmm. And that's also like a tenant of um white supremacy culture. Um yeah, so it's just I I would just really I would actually I'm gonna also add this. Um there's like a couple of different really good pieces about like white supremacy culture and kind of the tenants. Um, but basically like these characteristics, you could once you know them, like you they show up everywhere and you're like, oh my gosh, like why aren't like why do we still up to hold these things even like internally because they don't make sense um and they they truly are damaging not just people of color but damaging white folks as well because we're all expected to live up to this like white ideal and we just can't do that and so it's like damaging all of us so I'm, I might add um one of those into, yeah. this is going to be this is going to be one where we have lots of lots resources of <laughs> The other, and then certain personalities also have higher rates of imposter syndrome. Like if you have low Mm -hmm. self-worth, perfectionists, neuroticism, and then um, they, this article has a couple really good examples that are highly relatable. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes like so while most people or most women at least experience imposter syndrome here and there throughout their lives, typically it's like kind of a, a more fleeting feeling, right? It's not like something you're like struggling to survive in all the time. It's more like we've had, like we talked about in the beginning, like we've had experiences of feeling that way, but typically you can kind of logic your way out, realize it, but it can reach the level of getting into the DSM five. Um, like it's actually a syndrome that you have that you're struggling to deal with on a daily basis. That's mm-hmm. affecting your quality of life. Um, because 70, per, it's estimated that 70% of people will experience at least one episode versus like a chronic, like I can barely function type Mm-hmm. thing um like it's just agonizing you're making mistakes everyone's gonna find out about you um that kind of thing and then like some personality disorders because they can be good at hiding certain parts of their personality like say their family life and their work life are two different things where they can excel really well in one area and not the other there will be a level of like, what if they found out here that mm. I'm way different in this other area? Yeah. And so then there's a panic of like, I'm so different in these two areas that if I get found out, then yeah. I'm a, like, I am a phony because here I am, like, say at work, getting all these awards and accomplishments. And then, you know, your home life is a mess. Mm-hmm. I think that's really pervasive in therapists. Like therapists are like, mm-hmm. I have to have my shit together to be yeah. a therapist when that's not always the case. And honestly, like, I think that therapists that go to therapy make better therapists. Sure. Like, therapists that are actively working on themselves and actively working on improving themselves are better therapists because they're like I'm also going through this process (laughs) well it's a it's yeah that's easy because it's like 
the more you decide that I have to hide, if it's more of like, I'm trying to hide this part of my life from others, you're going to be more likely to then feel imposter syndrome in the Mm -hmm. other area where it looks like you're a shining star versus Mm -hmm. I'm just open and honest. Like, yeah, I'm working on this area of my life. It's not pretty, but Mm -hmm. I'm actively trying to fix it. And so then you're not going to feel that imposter syndrome somewhere else because you're not actually living two separate lives. Mm -hmm. And honestly, are like living those extremes well I would much I would I'm much more I I don't I want to I don't want to use the term like attracted but I'm much more like drawn Drawn. to people that are like yeah I'm I'm a mess I'm like oh my gosh I'm a mess too (laughs) well and that they're a mess and 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 they're working on it also like I'm figuring it out instead of like yeah I'm a mess take it or leave it but like it's when people are really trying to like to project this impression of themselves like look at me I am perfect Mm. yeah and I do think like you know like with all that said I do think that there's a lot of um vulnerability that comes with like having to talk like say that yeah. Like say like, Ooh, I'm not a, I'm not a perfect person and I'm trying and I'm working on it right. or like letting people in on the fact that you don't like, that's, that's what therapy is about. Right. Like right. people like opening up and being like, yeah, I'm really struggling with this piece and I don't know how, like, I don't know how it can fit in with this other piece. And I would just like to point out that there's this thing called dialectics or diet, like something being dialectical, which mm-hmm. is this idea that two things can be true like two opposing things can be true at the same time right right like I can it doesn't mean you're a fraud if you have an area in your life that's not as pretty exactly and like it doesn't like I can still write a really good report even though I yell at my kids when I am at home or like um I'm, I'm trying to think oh like I really love and I really love this person and sometimes we fight right like they can be mutually exclusive like if you fight with somebody that doesn't mean that you don't love them right or like like, sometimes I don't like this person exactly (laughs) I love them exactly or like I there's these things about this person that bother me and that like I struggle with and they still have strengths that I can acknowledge those that's dialectics, right? Like two things that are opposing can exist at the same time. Like we are in such, and that's another tenet of like white supremacy culture is that we think that things are very black and white, right? Mm -hmm. That things have to exist on this binary when things in reality don't. And honestly, again, like if somebody is, if somebody is like, oh yeah, I, um, Again, like I, I like okay. If I'm looking for a therapist, I want a therapist that has like been through stuff right. and is working on stuff. I don't want a therapist that came from like a white picket fence, like super traditional family. Like, oh, I've never been through anything. I like I don't connect with that. I don't right. connect with that. <laughs> and um, and there's and just, a difference between again, like finding those people that are like I'm a mess and I'm working on it and I'm learning versus. I'm hiding that I'm a mess. Not even that they aren't a mess. It's like, I'm hiding it from everybody. And I think you touched on a great point of like therapy of like, 
the irony of like not hiding who you are is that the more transparent you are, the less likely you are to do those things anymore. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. Um, like the more you voice, like, yeah, I lost it. Say like, if I, as a mom, I'm like, I just can't ever let anybody know I yelled at my kids last night. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's also I'm like, more likely I, to, I'm more likely to continue doing that if I don't let anybody know, mm-hmm. but if I'm like, uh, like it's a, like an accountability almost like just voicing that to somebody, like I yelled at my kids, they may be like, yeah, I yell at my kids too. It's actually then less likely to happen because yeah. it's not a secret that I'm keeping. Well, yeah. And especially if it's like, if there's, there's like, there are definitely workplaces that don't leave space for their employees to be human like that, to make those mistakes or like I, and you know, I've, um, I'm, I've been doing a lot of like every, every week in class, I'm like, my mind is just blown. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, I got all these things that I thought were true are just like being completely like dismantled Mm -hmm. which is good I think that that's good for me um I you know I think it's always good to kind of go outside of our um echo chamber um and so one of the things you talked about the DSM I've been really struggling with the DSM lately because like it's who who developed these these criteria for these like disorders or these diseases and who's to say what is like normal behavior or where, where, what's the standard of quote unquote normal. Right. Right. Like, so when it comes to like the DSM five, it's like, you know, there are all of these like criteria for diagnosing someone, but if somebody is having um, symptoms of something, no matter if it's like, actually, if it's like, actually follows all of the criteria to be diagnosed with something if something is bothering them in their life they can get help from for that without having to be diagnosed and especially like there's diagnoses that follow people and they can no longer get jobs like if you there's um one of the member one a member of my class was like talking about um oh no this is my teacher my teacher was talking about um somebody that she was like working with um who was it was a counselor and the place that they were working at which she decided to leave because of this kind of incident um like this woman was having a a period of her life where she was experiencing extreme anxiety and was prescribed anti-anxiety medication she's no longer on it but to get the medication to be covered by insurance they had to provide a diagnosis from the DSM-5 and anxiety is a disorder that you have, like, if you get diagnosed with anxiety, you, that, that diagnosis stays with you for the rest of your life. Like you cannot, like, you cannot expunge that from your medical record. Whereas like something like PTSD, which is what she was like, what, what, what she was more likely feeling at that moment was she was like having like she was like, there was a very traumatic thing in her life that she needed medications in that moment to be able to cope with and be like at a baseline where she could process it. It was most likely PTSD, but PTSD diagnosis didn't cover her being able to get medications. Mm. And so then she was given the anxiety diagnosis, which stayed with her, but the PTSD diagnosis is something that is considered episodic. So you can get it like you 
can have PTSD in a moment. And then a couple years down the road, be like, oh, you don't have PTSD anymore. And so I don't know, like, it's just like, I just have some issues. We can have a whole podcast about like my issues with the DSM now. Um, but anyways, I think that we are, should are kind of, you know, getting ready to wrap up a little bit. Yeah. There was one thing I was going to add, but now I can't. I know. Sorry. I get like off on tangents. Um, this is why this is, this is what my, all my classes are like too. And they turn into like all these like philosophical debates, which kind of hurts my brain a little bit. I know one thing I did want to say about imposter syndrome, and this is kind of targeting, you know, if you've ever just had these episodes of feeling this way and not, I chronically feel this way and I need to work on that Mm -hmm. is it's also a clue that you are growing Mm -hmm. and that you're pushing yourself to some level of discomfort, which is what you want. Like, if you don't feel imposter syndrome at some point in your life, you're not doing it right. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Like if you like from discomfort or from like conflict, like internal conflict, external conflict with something, that's where growth comes from. Right. So if you're, if you're extending yourself into the next level and then feeling like, oh my gosh, do I belong here? That means you're doing it right. Like you're mm-hmm. growing and you're pushing yourself and it's not comfortable because if it was, it probably means that you're not living to your potential because you can pick, you know, I could decide to go to McDonald's and work for the rest of my life. And I just know what the job's going to look like. And I can feel super comfortable. And I'll, I know I'll never feel imposter syndrome. Cause you're like, I know how to take orders. Right. Mm -hmm. So then if you're ever feeling that it might be a sign that you need to stretch a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're on the right track if you feel it, but then it's what you do with it. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not even, you know, I don't know if we named it, but in one of the articles, there is a difference between imposter syndrome and actually being discriminated against. Mm Mm-hmm. So if it's more of a personal internal thought and belief that you have to bust through versus, is there something here in my environment? Mm -hmm. And even that still comes back to like, you have to solidify that internal belief to break those things in your external environment. Yeah. And, you know, again, going back to that Harvard business article, that that's the culture that we have been socialized into and the only way to kind of stop that cycle of socialization is to go against it. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. To say like, no, this is, this is BS. <laughs> right. In fact, I, mean, I think that more men should be excluded from positions of power because every war has been started by men in human history. Well, Oh, here's the thought. <laughs> I had. Like, well, it's kind of like the whole, like, you know, there's all these articles about how introverts can get more extroverted, but you never see articles on how extroverted people should be quieter. Yeah. (laughs) As an extroverted person. Yes. Um, and so it's like that, like, why are we second guessing why women feel less than instead of why do men think they're so confident, even if they don't have the skills, like, Maybe that's the problem. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe we all should be second guessing ourselves because we have better quality that way. Mm-hmm. And I've like 100%, like I, I've, I noticed that in, especially like when classes first start, I am somebody who talks a lot in classes and I've made a very concerted effort to be like, it's like the, um, what is it? It's like the weight acronym. Like, why am I talking or why <laughs> am I not talking? Like sometimes you, like, and also there's this idea that there's different ways that people process and think through things. Um, like there's, I, we call it crock pot versus microwave thinkers. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes people are able to, you know, like really quickly kind of get to a point or like process something really quickly. But then there's also crockpot thinkers that are like, you know, take more time to kind of process through their emotions and think about things. And ultimately both options, you get dinner. Like they make, they make food and they make dinner. Right. And um, one of them tends to be the more expedient option. And one of them tends to dominate right. our, our culture. Um, and so thinking about like, and I've been, I've been trying to make a very, I've been very intentional about thinking like, oh, I could say something right here, but I'm not because other people either may say it better than me, or people may have a different opinion on this thing than me. And Mm -hmm. I want to hear that opinion because I know my opinions about things. (laughs) Yes. uh, The next level of becoming aware yeah. <laughs> what do you do with it? Um, well, anyways, I think that that's a great place to stop. Um, I thought that that was really good, Sarah. I think so too. So listeners share with us if you've ever felt imposter syndrome and if it's been fleeting, chronic, internal or external. Absolutely. Especially, and also like in what field you're in and whether, and like what mm. that, what that looks like. And, um, you know, what do you notice? Cause I am really interested in hearing about that. And if you do want to submit those, you can do so at, um, two empaths without borders. So that's empaths with an S empaths without borders at gmail.com. Um, also make sure that you like subscribe, share rate review us on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, yeah. And I guess we will, talk next time. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.